0: All right, so welcome. This is Beck Barnes and Jim Stebman of Cotton Grower Magazine coming at you live from the prestigious Cotton Grower Studios here in Memphis, Tennessee with the Cotton Companion Podcast here. This is the, oh gosh, almost starting the second week of October. Uh, Whether you're joining us from the High Plains of Texas or the High Point neighborhood here in Memphis, Tennessee, we appreciate you hitting these cotton industry highlights with us today. I am joined, uh, as always, by my partner in crime, Mr.
1: Jim Stedman. Hey, Jim. Hey, Beck. And I can guarantee you, regardless of where you're standing, fall has finally arrived.
0: Yeah. Well, you've probably looked at the national map. I I know all I've done is stepped outside today, and I know that it's that way here in Memphis. Uh, We... I, I was actually just belly aching about how I feel like it's a little too cool already out there. It's kind of mid, I don't know, uh, it's probably mid-60s right now out there, <laughs> which is too, yeah, if you know me, you know that's too They're cold little tiny me. violins playing yeah, all over yeah. the place. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I do know, you know, along with that, or what's ushered that, this little cool front end is that it rained for the first time in, gosh, uh, forever. I think it was the second rain event we've had since what feels like the end of July uh,
1: here in the... It may very well have been.
0: Yeah, in the, I mean, it's been droughty, and um, yeah, it stormed pretty good overnight. I mean, it was thundering and storming. I think I saw as much as an inch and a half to two inches in some spots here in the city. So, um, you know, brought some cool weather with it, which I guess is all right. I know that for a lot of y'all farmers, y'all have been enjoying all this dry stuff uh, as you got this crop in. I know that there's farmers in North Mississippi I talk with Told me over the weekend they were about, or going into the weekend, they still lacked about two-thirds, picking uh, two-thirds of their crop to get in. And, of course, they were all eyeballing this rain that was going to come in on Sunday night. So there's a lot of y'all here uh, in the river counties of the Mid-South, Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, Missouri, who... Um, I know we're burning the midnight oil, getting that crop in over the weekend. So we hope that it slows down a little for y'all. We know the end is in sight from coast to coast in the belt. Uh, So we wish you good weather and safe picking from here on out to be sure. Uh, I'll tell you, speaking of that, Jim, and you're aware of this, I, I got out to see a little bit of the belt. I got out to an area that I don't often get to, and that was down to Louisiana last week. I went down, actually stayed across the river in Natchez, Mississippi, and uh, was down there for a BASF E3 cotton event. Where, um, <laughs> to be honest with you, to tell on myself a little bit, I didn't read my invitation <laughs> quite as close, uh, close as I should have. And uh, packed a quick bag after we got done with the October issue last week and hopped in the rental car. And uh, you know, I packed like I would pack to go to any event that I go to over the course of the year, which is to say, my my uh, blue jeans and my standard-issue uh, Columbia fishing shirt. You know, I was going to be a farming tour. I thought I was going to be hanging out with farmers down there. And I get down to Natchez, Mississippi, and we uh, were staying at the Grand Hotel. And I get there just in time for the kickoff uh, reception event, and I walk into the lobby, and, man, <laughs> it was everybody in the room was in skinny jeans and very hip. Outfits and everybody had on the flat brimmed cowboy hat that like brooding uh, alt country music star would have on. <laughs> and I'm going, man, am I in the right spot? <laughs> and uh, I saw—I can't remember if I even told you this—but I saw Bob antishak was the first familiar face I've seen. Okay. who's who's long time been associated with that yeah. E3 program and Fibermax back before <clears throat> uh, BASF had these two seed brands yeah. and taken over this program. And so, anyhow. Bob assured me I was in the right spot, but I was there <laughs> not with farmers, but with fashion industry, uh, people who represented a, a lot of big retail fashion brands and the people who source uh, material to make all those fashionable shirts and blue jeans and everything. And, I mean, I think, um, again, Jim, I can't even remember if I ran all this patch, but <laughs> some of those, you know, I, I talked to people from JCPenney and, Big outlets. I think they told me that. Uh, I know I talked to some ladies from Lands End and uh, big places. I think they told me Gap was there. And uh, anyhow, it was about forty of them. Down to smaller retailers. I made friends with the guy out of Nashville who runs uh, Imogene and Willie, uh, which is a fashion brand I knew nothing about. But my wife freaked out when I told her that I made <laughs> friends with that guy. So if I apparently Did she ask if you got a discount? Yeah, right. Yeah, apparently the ladies, yeah. uh, your wives, women would know all about it. Our folks who follow fashion would know all about it i should say so anyhow um got out in the field uh, we actually went across the river and and basf had them speaking with uh, uh Jay hardwick's sons uh, mead hardwick and i believe his brother's name is marshall and they were telling them about all the sustainable practices that they do there and and um economically sound environmentally sound talking about how they take care of their labor it was really neat and those two On the Hardwicks farm, really did our industry proud. But I say all this to say, uh, those those 40 fashion industry folks uh, who are they're in sourcing. They're the ones who make the call of whether they're going to make a shirt with cotton or with whatever nylon or polyester or something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are literally these are the people who make that decision and they were very earnest, very eager to listen to what those hard boys were saying. I call them boys, they're my age, they're mid-30s, they got kids of their own. Uh, uh, boys in the <laughs> sense that they're Jay's sons. Um, anyhow, I just, I've just i seen on social media before, a lot of farmers kind of question whether anybody cares about the environmentally sound practices that y'all do out there. And I'm here to tell you, I rode <laughs> along in a bus tour with 40 of these people who are the decision makers of whether or not they care about that sustainability stuff. And to a person, all of them had a notepad out and were taking notes and writing down everything that uh, BASF's representatives and the farmers that they met with and the Jenners that they met with were saying. Um, and so it matters. The stuff that y'all do, a uh, little uh, decrease in, you know, whatever the sustainable, uh, checkpoints you're trying to check off you're decreasing an application of something or you're uh, making more efficient use of your water that matters man those people care about it and uh, this cotton industry did itself a big uh, did itself well acquitted itself well in front of that crowd um, thanks to that uh, basf e3 program i'll be writing about that in our next issue and i'll quit rambling about it now but i uh, just wrap it up i'll say that y- y'all's efforts matter y'all sustainability efforts matter y'all may get tired of hearing us talking about it on occasion but uh it it helps with demand ain't no doubt about it so anyhow i'll be quiet (laughs) (laughs) um uh, you know we got a good uh companion loaded up for y'all aside from that today the first thing we want to do is bring y'all a message from our uh, sponsors at phytogen
2: Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. So, all right,
0: that is a timely Phytogen ad, as always, because uh, at this moment, we want to bring you all a brief custom content segment featuring our custom content editor, Robin Sickberg. Uh, She recently sat down and spoke with Dr. Jason Woodward, a Phytogen cotton development specialist for North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. So we want to bring you that custom interview segment right now.
3: Hello, I'm Robin Sitberg, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. And I'm here today with Dr. Jason Woodward, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist for North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. So welcome to the program, Dr. Woodward. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I, it's harvest time and a lot of growers are working very hard to get the crop out of the field. And what are some of the things that growers should be looking for this year? I, I know nematodes is a problem that's probably uppermost in their minds.
2: Yeah, a lot of growers have been paying attention to fields throughout the season and, and maybe they noticed some weaker spots throughout the field and, and not really sure as to why they haven't responded to input. And that would be a good time to try to identify some of those weaker areas in a field.
3: Why is harvest a particularly good time to evaluate fields and take soil samples for nematodes?
2: If we look at nematode populations, they're, they're really um, a function of temperature. So as we have warmer conditions throughout the growing season, by the end of the season, we have um, good, good reproduction and our populations are at their highest levels toward the end of the season.
3: Why is soil sampling necessary? Why can't they just look at the overall, like you said, the weak areas of the field? Why is it uh, necessary to take that extra step?
2: Yeah, so we've got a qualitative versus a quantitative measure. Um, those those up and down areas, those those poor uh, performing areas within the field are kind of where we want to focus our attention. And looking at going in and pulling samples actually gives us an opportunity to evaluate and really hone in on what what levels of the pest we're dealing with.
3: What are some tips for getting good soil samples? Because I know that's important.
2: Yeah, as we approach the harvest season, I think it's a good opportunity um, to, to go out and take a, a, a set of series of soil samples. Uh, we want to go into areas where cotton is planted and, and different from pulling fertility samples. We really want to get into that root zone, uh, you know, anywhere from five to eight inches deep, right where the roots are. We're hedging our bets on, on better characterizing where the nematodes are and getting a good snapshot of what those populations look like. In addition, we need to make sure that, that soil moisture is available we don't need supersaturated soils, but if we have extremely dry soils, that may affect the the estimates that we are, that we're getting on those populations of nematodes.
3: And should they send the samples immediately? Is there kind of a lifetime between when it's collected and when it goes to the lab?
2: They're fairly flexible. It's always a good idea to send samples uh, as soon as possible after the samples are pulled, uh, storage, is important. Uh, unlike pulling fertility samples, we can't leave them in the back of the truck or on the dash of the of the pickup. <laughs> we need to keep those uh, samples out of direct sunlight and, and get them shipped really within one to two, two days after pulling.
3: Thank you so much for uh, the tips. I know it's important to get the soil samples done right and to really identify where these problem nematodes are because they are such a problem. So thank you so much for being on the program.
2: Well, thanks again for having me.
3: Well, and always, growers can go to phytogen.com for more information.
0: Okay, a big thank you to Robin, as always, and to Dr. Woodward there. And uh, with that, we're going to get things rolling with this 57th episode of The Cotton Companion, and it promises to be a good one. Uh, Jim is going to lead us in our news segment. He's going to be talking about, among other things, crop progress I believe we just waited until like didn't it just come out we have
1: hot hot numbers to talk about yeah (laughs) we
0: waited late enough in the afternoon for that crop progress report to come out so it's literally about maybe a half hour old right now the
1: pixels are not even dry on the computer from USDA (laughs) there there you go
0: there you go so uh, we're gonna be talking about that crop progress report as well as um where you could go to get some good farm bill navigation tips uh, and, mm-hmm. and a couple other updates from around the industry like that. Uh, so after that, mm-hmm. we're going to bring you an interview, interview Jim recently conducted with Dr. John Robinson. He's a professor and extension economist with Texas A&M and has been a longtime source for cotton policy info and, and marketing info. And he's just about one of the most trusted analysts we can think of. So we are happy to have him join us. Um, so... As you can tell, a great episode lined up for y'all. Without further ado, I want to turn it over to Jim here, who's going to lead us in
1: a discussion of the news of the day. Go for it, Jim. Thank you, Beck. Uh, as we mentioned, it's a uh, it's an afternoon. It is the afternoon that USDA uh, releases its, US, its uh, crop progress report for the week, so we have some brand new, fresh numbers to talk about. Uh, basically what the numbers show us, uh, for the report that was issued today is that optimal weather conditions are really pushing harvest quickly, uh, across the cotton belt. The report showed that open bowls are still reporting open bowls at this point are now reported in 83% of the crop. That's 6% increase in the past week, 8% ahead of the five-year average for the date and a 19% change since our last podcast. Uh, all of the cotton-producing states, with the exception of Kansas, are now reporting open bowls in, in 70% or more of their fields. The harvest percentage, which I think right now is the most important number, is sitting at 25% nationwide. That's a 9% jump in the past week, uh, 5% ahead of five-year average, and a 14% movement ahead uh, since our last podcast. We have eight states that are showing double-digit increases in harvested acres since last week's report, with nine states ahead of their respective five-year averages. And when you get down to looking at crop condition, we've talked all, I guess, for a number of episodes about how the numbers just kind of slide a percentage point or two, uh, and that's still what, the, what, what we're seeing in this. Uh, crop condition right now, we're looking at 39% of the crop is rated good to excellent, 42% is fair, and 19% is rated poor to very poor. Uh, again, those numbers can slide a percentage of point one way or the other uh, for the, for at, at any point and probably will continue until we get this crop completely out of the field. Uh, Wanna talk a little bit about, uh, Beck mentioned BASF and their E3 program. Uh, BASF has also launched a program called Operation Weed Eradication, and it's an initiative to help growers and partners Eliminate troublesome on-farm weeds through cultural practices, chemical control, and enhanced diligence. Uh, Now, they quoted some research by Stratus Ag that showed that nearly 75% of growers nationwide, so this is not just cotton, this is all crops nationwide, are dealing with glyphosate-resistant weeds in their fields. And today's management practices are likely not sustainable for long-term control of problem weeds, particularly such as pigweed. So, the operation weed eradication is going to take a balanced approach to utilize cultural practices such as conventional tillage, uh, chemical control by rotating chemistries, and infield diligence uh, on things such as hand weeding to help growers eliminate problem weeds. Uh, BASF is going to build a coalition of industry leaders to help develop specific customer guidelines for weed eradication, and they will be launching an educational effort to support the entire program. If you're interested in a little more detail, you can find it online at agro that's a g r o . b a s f . u s. I see. I could be in charge of that hand weeding uh,
0: uh, element for him. I was, you know, was character building. That's what I did in my teen years. I wonder, do people it still have chopping crews the way they had in the early '90s when I was a kid and I was out there? When, when, when,
1: when we were kids, middle, middle schooler. schooler, yeah, when we were working on the farms, it was called. It was just family time right. in the fields, is what <laughs> <Right>. it was.
0: <laughs> right. But really, like it was that window right yeah. before uh, roundup came along. Right. And so I wonder, do do like, yeah, do they, like kids and. Uh, you know I, probably I would, a lot of them are driving tractors now. I don't know that I was tr- I wasn't trusted to do that <laughs> I had my I had the hoe. I was trusted with a hoe in my hand So it's probably the safest thing. Yeah
1: for everybody. Absolutely uh, Next we want to talk about uh, Phytogen and in uh, the Cotton Incorporated's Blue Jeans Go Green denim recycling program <clears throat> They uh, they sort of banded together early this year uh, to help organize uh, denim collection drives at industry events, and they have renewed this collaboration uh, for 2020. Uh, the Blue Jeans Go Green program, great program. It's, uh, it's an initiative that upcycles denim garments into premium housing insulation and keeps denim out of landfills. Uh, in working with the, with the uh, Cotton Incorporated program this year, Phytogen was able to collect over 7,400 items through donation drives at cotton industry events and at company locations. Uh, next year, Phytogen is already scheduling the denim collection drives at the Mid-South Farm and Gin Show, at the Texas Cotton Jenner Show and the Desert Ag Conference. Uh, they rely a lot on local FFA or 4-H chapters to help with some of these drives and there are some prizes involved for the chapter that can bring in uh, the most denim for recycling at these uh, during these drives. But certainly anyone is welcome to participate and drop off uh, old used denim during, the, uh, during these three events. In fact, I pointed out to my lovely wife yesterday, pulled a pair of jeans out that I usually do for yard work, and I was kind of going, I really don't think I should wear these out in public anymore. <laughs>
0: right, so, good for the backyard, not so it the isn't, front yard. I'm
1: not even sure they're good for the backyard anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, yeah, they're, they're tucked away and waiting for the next recycling uh, program that comes, comes to this area. Uh, as Beck mentioned, uh, if you're interested in farm bill implementation details, uh, those of you who may not have been able to participate in the National Cotton Council's Farm Bill Education webinars in September, you still can get the information uh, via a YouTube video that features Dr. Jody Campiche. She's NCC's Vice President of Economics and Policy Analysis. It's, uh, there's a 24-minute video that is compiled from information provided during those webinars and it's accessible on the NCC Farm Bill Resources page at the, uh, at the organization's website and that's www.cotton.org Now each of the video's five major topics and each of these topics are also available on in separate YouTube links uh, and they cover things like the key differences in the Title I programs, Uh, the seed cotton marketing year average price calculation, seed cotton PLC, ARC provisions and examples, base acres, payment yield update, marketing loan provisions, payment limits and eligibility, and ARC PLC election and enrollment, eligibility for stacks, the SCO, yield updates, disaster assistance, and uh, an MFP program. Uh, this Farm Bill Resources page on the council site also includes the webinar presentation itself, and it is being continuously updated as new information becomes available. So, uh, nice resource there for you if you weren't able to uh, to participate in that, and certainly as you move toward your planning for uh, for 2020. Uh, in keeping in line with the can- following following the council at this point again, they are encouraging cotton farmers to complete any of the USDA agricultural surveys that come your way this fall, uh, the cotton producers are going to be asked to report production practices and chemical use as part of the agricultural resource management survey. So if you receive a survey please complete it online or if you prefer you can schedule an appointment with the USDA representative to help you with that survey completion. Please make sure you have your pesticide and fertilizer spray records to uh, speed the process up a little bit and then finally a couple of quick items uh, that have happened here within the last couple of weeks uh, one we talked a little bit about in our last podcast in our interview with steve verrett but it's now official plains cotton growers has moved to the new office headquarters at 8303 aberdeen avenue in lubbock texas i don't think we mentioned the address last time yeah uh, and, and if you go back and listen to the podcast and the interview with, with, with Steve, uh, you'll find out that the new building was designed to meet the, the specific needs of the organization, including a much larger conference room and kitchen for events and meetings, uh, particularly for hosting their biweekly Plains Cotton Advisory Group meetings, for which space for participants have become severely limited in their old offices.
0: I got to get out to one of those. Sean Wade, my buddy out there, he invited me to one of those, and it was a long time ago, and it was a little too early, I think was the was the problem. Uh, this is about a decade ago, but anyhow, now that y'all got the good space for it out there, I got to be out there on a Friday. Yeah, we we'll have
1: to be out there. I have been warned, by the way, that that you can't just walk in and sit anywhere. Oh, there's a pecking order. There is pecking order, and people's you know it's sort of like church. Yeah, you know, yeah. people have the there's are certain areas that they like to sit, and that's fine. That's great. That that's that. We are used to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, next thing I want to mention is a new Lone Star Gin in Pampa, Texas. Uh, welcomed several hundred folks up to its open house in late September. It's a new six stand operation. It's located northwest of Amarillo, up in the Northern High Plains, and it should uh, was built to produce close to 150,000 bales during a normal production year. So, as harvest approaches in that area, uh, it's good to know that there's some additional ginning capacity available to get that crop in and finished. And just, a, a again, a continuing reminder that if you're planning to attend the 2020 Beltwide Cotton Conferences that come up January 8th through 10th at the JW Marriott in Austin, Texas, conference registration and housing reservations are now available online at www.cotton.org beltwide. And that's it.
0: Very good, Jim. Well, I appreciate that as always, and uh, yeah, we'll roll from there right into our interview that you conducted with Dr. Robinson. Now, did you talk with him over the phone, or did you get this when you were out in Texas? No, we didn't.
1: We we just did this by phone.
0: Okay, very good. Dr. John Robinson uh, probably needs no introduction from this group, but uh, he's been out there uh, in the cotton industry doing policy analysis and economic analysis for a long time, and so. Uh, y'all will want to hear what he has to say, we will bring you that interview right now.
1: Welcome to this edition's Market Minute. Today we're joined again by Dr. John Robinson, professor and extension economist with Texas A&M University in College Station. John, welcome back.
4: Thank you, Jim.
1: You know, I, I checked our schedule, our production schedule on, on, on the Cotton Companion, and we last visited with you back in May. So... From your perspective, how would you kind of describe the last four and a half months in this market?
4: Well, it's been, uh, I would say, probably disappointing from a grower perspective and disappointing on several fronts. Um, Back in May, we were at the tail end of what had been a very long, uh, wet Spring situation, which, you know, we first we thought wet is good, moisture is good, better yields, lower abandonment. And then in during that May period that we were visiting, there was a lot of unfolding uncertainty about getting the crop in in certain places because it was too wet. But I think still in the back of people's minds and in the back of my mind was, well, you know, some spots will be washed out, but that which gets planted will still be well off in terms of moisture. and Maybe we'll have above average yields and low abandonment and produce a lot of cotton. Um, then it turned out in my world, then it turned off really dry, you know, quit raining in July and, and we've had a hot summer and so we've, the crops had to contend with that. Um, and while I and USDA and every other analyst I can think of have been Downsizing and downshifting our expectations of production. We still have plenty of production coming. Mm -hmm. So what that means is uh, we're not getting a huge price rally on, you know, an unrealized uh, potential in a short crop. The crop's not short enough to give us a boost in prices. So what we've had in the last four months is a stair step down, a ratcheting down of prices. Some of that's been associated with, uh, with, you know, a tweet about trade things that's not realized. Or anyway, the trade conflict with China is still with us. That's just kind of added uncertainty. But I think what's really been unfolding is we've got ample supplies and demand just in general, beyond the trade issue, demand is is weak. And it appears to be weak because economies around the world are slowing. So Mm -hmm. slowing economies means... Just less mill use, and we got more cotton than we need. That's that's kind of the unfolding picture.
1: Okay, I know. Um, looking at some of the some of the things you've written over the last couple of months, I think after after last month, after the September supply and demand report was released, uh, I read you you compared the report to a a tiring, hot, sweaty dove hunt, where the only thing you reached your limit on was the beer in the cooler. Now, I think that's a great analogy and would you would you like to explain your reasoning on that
4: yeah, sure uh so dove season in Texas starts in early september and <laughs> and september is is a miserably hot time of the year, <laughs>
2: not great for honey,
4: so uh yeah, yeah, maybe for drinking cold beer so uh so this September was the you know it's it's kind of a part two of a benchmark supply and demand report where where hopefully we get from USDA, you know, a picture of what the, what the crop is, how how big it is, or how small it is. And I think, you know, some people thought, well, we got this, the August report didn't go far enough trimming production. Um, and they were expecting a lot out of the September report, and they didn't get it. I mean, I think, if I get my report straight, USDA cut 700,000 bales out of the U.S. number, but it still left us with, 7.4 million bales of ending stocks, which is as bearish a number as anybody could serve up. Um, so there just wasn't, fundamentally, there wasn't anything satisfactory mm-hmm. out of that. It's a bearish number. Now, I think uh, we have a new report coming, uh, October was to use, coming next week. Yes, and uh, they're going to, you know, they've been, Doing what they usually do, which is, which is incremental adjustments, they'll make a few more incremental adjustments. They'll probably trim some more expected production. But the thing is, when they do that, they typically turn around and say, "Okay, well, less less production, less exportable surpluses," and they'll cut the export number. So, I really don't see. Um, I don't. Re- I don't know that we're going to have less than seven million bales of ending stocks, which is just a huge. A huge number it's a huge year-over-year increase from the previous year and it's just a big level period it's fundamentally bearish I I don't see what kind of adjustment from USDA gets us out of that scenario so the recipe for prices where they are basically you know cash prices somewhere above a loan rate level uh, I don't really see what gets us away from that
1: Mm -hmm. okay if I'm a grower and I'm, I'm I've worked my way through this season and I'm just trying my best to get finished and get this crop out of the out of the field and look ahead, what do growers need to be doing right now to kind of get themselves ready for next year? And not just from a production perspective, from a marketing and, and overall business perspective.
4: Yeah. Well, I guess the first consideration is what do you do with the crop that you're harvesting now, uh, and. Uh, kind of tough if they hadn't priced it you know, the opportunity for profitable prices went away sometime in the spring mm-hmm. um, I, I expect a lot of cotton with you know the demand from merchants the business activity the buying is is at a very low low level merchants aren't extending themselves and I don't blame them in this uncertain environment they're probably just going to wait to get a lot of cheap cotton out of the loan. And I expect growers for cash flow purposes are, are going to put a lot of cotton in the loan. So um, I guess the only thing I can say that's good about these low prices is that the storage in the loan is subsidized because it doesn't pay to store it on, on your own nickel. Right. The market isn't going to pay for that. If you look at the spread between December 19 and July 20 futures, it's not big enough to pay for, for storing cotton all that time. The market is saying sell it. Yeah. There's sooner no right. Don't rather hold than on later. That's right. Don't hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Unless Uncle Sam is subsidizing the storage, in which case, you know, put it in the loan and, and just kind of see what happens. Right. So, so that's going to contribute to the situation. The other the other kind of cold-blooded economist statement about low prices is, you know, what they say, low prices is the cure to low prices. So there's going to be fewer acres planted next year. Um, between a lot of growers, you know, this year sticking in their craw and probably a tough banker, they, they may not, they may not be get financing to grow cotton. And, and relative to alternative corn and oilseed crops, uh, cotton doesn't look as good this year or for 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at 20 futures of corn compared to cotton, uh, the ratio favors corn a lot more than it did when you figured that ratio last year. So I expect there's going to be a big shift out, and I expect that we'll plant 9 or 10 or so million as opposed to 13 or 14 million. So you take a big cut in acres, and if you just stick average yields and abandonment onto that, you come up with a smaller-sized crop, and you'll come up, we'll whittle down ending stocks for 20 the way i'm penciling them out now and that would suggest that you know the prices that we have now fundamentally might improve somewhat for the 20 crop marketing year um but that puts growers in a tough spot if you're going to put seed in the ground and the prices are still low now for for 20 20 futures won't won't pencil out as a profit um uh, what i would tell growers is they need to have a marketing plan to take advantage of of rallies when they happen and don't expect that if prices start going up they're just going to march steadily higher and go up and stay up i don't i don't think that'll be the pattern at all but that happens when there's an expanding economy and booming demand and kind of a long-term upward pull i don't really see that for in the in the 20 story, what I see is, yeah, we have a chance for futures to go over 70 and maybe get to the mid-70s, um, but it'll probably happen on weather markets and it'll happen on a policy announcement or a tweet or something about, you know, a positive resolution to the trade deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that happen that, you know, if the, if the hedge funds jump in and go long, get out of this long-time short position they've been in. Those things happen in bursts um, and they come and they go. Uh, so I would do, I would do some pricing and hedging uh, when those opportunities happen. When the market shoots up, I'd price some and if they have another one of those kind of events, I would price some more. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just hold and hope all the way to the end. right. We probably will have higher prices in the 20 situation. But it, like I say, it may come in volatile bursts.
1: Yeah, they're not going to be there when, when it's time to put seed in the ground.
4: Yeah, they, they may not be there when you're harvesting bales <laughs> in, the, in the fall yeah. of 20. They may have happened several times during the spring and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing.
1: Well, it's certainly been an interesting year for watching uh, watching the market and, and seeing the impact of, of various various. Forces on on the market at this point. So, John, thank you as always for your time and, and your insight on this this crazy, crazy market that we're we're living with right now. And uh, we'll be checking back with you here in a few months to see if, uh, if some of your your predictions or, or statements uh, statements actually bear fruit.
4: Well, I'll be interested to see <laughs> how it works out myself.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, John. We'll be right back with the rest of this edition of the Cotton Cuphead.
0: Okay. Well, we want to give, uh, again, a big thank you to Dr. Robinson. He's a guy who's been out in these cotton industry trenches with farmers in Texas, as well as across the belt for a long time now. And so, uh, again, we know he's somebody that y'all appreciate hearing from. Okay. So that's that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Uh, we want to thank Phytogen for sponsoring us. And we want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us as always. If you like what you're hearing, please tell your buddies about this podcast. They can get to it in three easy ways. The first is going to cottongrower.com forward slash companion. The second, you could subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever it is that you find your podcast. Simply search for the Cotton Companion there. The third way, the best way, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news, which hits your email inbox like clockwork on Tuesday morning. It has all of the news of the week. Uh, the most important news of the week and you could get to that by simply going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe and you can uh, follow the steps from there it's quick easy and you won't regret it so make sure you're following us on social media as well Uh, we are at cotton grower mag on twitter and on facebook you can find us by, by searching for cotton grower magazine uh, we hope you're enjoying our latest issue, which at this point is the September issue. Although the October one will be getting there any day now. Any actually. day now, yes. Yeah, actually, it may be in your mailbox before this pod gets to you. So, so be looking for it. Uh, yeah, we're working on the November one now. <laughs> I had to find my spot there. We're working on the November one now. You, you, y'all are going to like that one. So, this podcast is produced. By the great Mr. Tyler Hatch. He works at the mothership, Meister Media Worldwide, in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I'm going to be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Steadman, we wish you and your farm all the best.
2: Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to Phytogen.com.